What's up? Another episode with my friend Josh Reed. We call it HHMC. This week we go deep in on some recovery methods. And there's a lot of things that you can buy and like add to your workout routine. There's a lot of things that are marketed to you as a way to help you bounce back faster so you can train harder. But do they really work? And and if they do, like what should you spend your money on? And how should you use it? So Josh and I, we've explored a lot of these things in our own personal experience, and we've done a lot of research on uh, the ways and in which these things could help you. So we give you our favorite evidence-based methods and some of our favorite anecdotal uh, experience that we found work for us. So we touch on soft tissue mobility and what to expect when choosing between foam rolling and other mes- methods like Graston and cupping and flossing, and exactly how to use those things in your own practice. We talk about how to use heat and cold exposure to boost your performance and also some kind of off uh, off brand things like uh, how to use flotation tanks and, and if ice actually works and when you should use those type of things. So uh, in the beginning of the episode, it's worth noting we do talk about uh, that we are going to touch on nutrition habits at the end of the episode. We don't, but we'll do that next time. So sorry to confuse Awesome. So if you like the podcast, please hook it up with a review. It does help us out quite a bit. All right. So that's that. And here's my friend, Josh Reed. Josh Reed. How are do, you? Do, 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 do. If that answers your question. I think I'm going to like have a new podcast voice. What do you think? Does this sound good on... On, on that audio, that's definitely a podcast voice, Rich. We now have podcast voice. I Welcome do feel to like Reinforced Running Podcast. If podcast started like back in the seventies, that is definitely what they would have been like. Yeah, real cut and dry. Button it up, button that voice up. But I'm glad. But I, I've been working on it, so just in case we do have um, a shift, maybe after, maybe when everybody comes back from from COVID, everybody gets out of quarantine, they're going to want a little bit more rigidity. They want to bring it back to like 50, 50 60s, 70s, just. Button this act up, everybody. Dude, you know what's funny? I listen to podcasts on like 1.25 or 1.5. Like some podcast apps only let you jump from like 1 to 1.5 to 2. If there's no like in between. I like the 1.3, you know, speed. But when I go back and listen to something on 1, it sounds weird. Voices do sound different. And if you slow it down to half, it's that real yeah, yeah, yeah. typical <laughs> slow. Dude, it's pretty funny. But I, everything just sounds better. People sound smarter at 1.5. I think so too. I, I when I go back, I'll listen to our podcast just to kind of get feedback and things. I'll put ours at like two or two plus just to like oh my blast God. through it. I don't talk fast enough already, and we sound great. We sound so good. Um, our voice is really high like this, or is, it, is that just the way I sound always? I think that's how you sound always. Okay, but I'll let okay. you know when I when I review, when I review this. Um, so, Josh, what what is a bad habit that you have had or that you currently have? A bad habit that I have had or that. I currently have, uh, dude, my answer to these things are like, yeah, I don't have bad habits. I don't have dumb workouts. I don't do <laughs> yeah, By I the way, I, I, don't I thought about soda. that, yo. yo <laughs> I don't drink soda, pop, cola. Uh, I thought about this. The question you had last time, which was like, what's the dumb work, like the dumbest workout you've done? Know what it would have been? It was almost a burpee mile. Mm, we almost we're still did that. Gonna, we're still going to do that. Um, dude. Burpee that broad jump mile. Destruction. Destruction. Broken back. I wonder. I'm more like because if you do it on a track, so burpee broad jump mile would be literally that doing burpee broad jumps for a mile, four laps on a track or a full mile, just doing it. 
I bet like your palms and your knees would get all jacked up, like just doing that many and like getting up and, and, and just being so dead. I don't know. What do you think? Like, how do you even pace? When I, I can talk from experience. I, when I was in high school, I think I was like ninth grade and there was this senior chick that I was really into and, uh, we were like flirting around and I just became like a little boy toy. And something that I did to impress her was to raise money for a foundation that she was into. So it was like good cause. But what I did is I crawled around our track, crawled on my hands and knees around this track to raise money. And I let people throw water balloons at me. And it was an excuse to, it was an excuse to get out of like literally every single period and just like raise some money and impress this chick. So yeah, like crawl a baby crawl knees. or like a, a, a army crawl, like a bear crawl. Is there a difference? Maybe <laughs> knees, knees. I think I alternated between like knees off the ground, knees on the ground. Cause you know, like knees off the ground really, uh, really taxed my arms and my shoulders. And then knees on the ground, just like shredded my knees up. Dude, my palms and my knees were destroyed. They were, the skin was so raw, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And like, yeah, you're doing something for a charity for like a good cause, but really it was the most selfish thing. If you can kill two birds with one stone with that one, then you're on point. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to like take your selfish motivations and gear it toward philanthropy. I mean, that's great. That's what we should all do. Just start a foundation. Like what's something selfish that you like to do? And then we it should have a charity that they can, and they can do. And help people winning. Yeah, I've heard that about people like getting into charity work in general. Like it's that it still makes them feel good. So is it truly selfless when you are oh, dude, doing? Totally. Are you kidding me? The whole example of like holding a door open for somebody where you don't just be nice. You're like, hmm, this person thinks I'm a nice person now. Yeah. <laughs> I do it because it's the opposite. I I do it. If someone doesn't hold it for me, I'm like, come on. Like it doesn't take any effort. Just what am I not here? Just hold the door. Hold Maybe and the door. And for all you know, that person goes through the door and doesn't hold it because they're thinking in their head like, I have no ego. I don't have to hold the door for anybody. I don't need that <laughs> affirmation that I'm a good person. Right, right. They're so scared. I bet that's something after the um, after COVID, no one's going to be holding doors. People aren't going to try to be getting close to each other. No one's going to be like touching the doors. So door holding, opening, door hold, opening, that's over. That's done. You can say, I was pissed about it before. I'm going to be like hating everybody now. I'm just going to start walking around with like a broom, like a broomstick because they're about like five, six feet long. And I'm just going to use that to like hold open doors. Like I'll, I'll walk towards the door as someone's behind me. I'll just like turn around with the broom and like keep it, keep it held open for them. You know, I'll give them a head yeah. nod and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm far. I'm far away. You're good. You're good. You're good, dude. But not for your own ego because you, you don't want them to touch the door either. Cause you're just, and, and it's an excuse to hold a broom. Cause there's like, maybe there's an opportunity to try out new things that people would normally think is weird. And holding a broom might be less weird during this and it time. Might be, it might be more cleanly. And then the broom is going to be at the be a yeah, sweep away thing. Yeah. So what kind of bad? So have you ever had a bad habit? Like you, you tell, tell oh, dude, you don't totally have any bad had, Are you kidding me? I've totally had bad habits. I used to, I used to just like smoke and hang out until like three in the morning and then sleep until like 11 or noon and maybe ride my BMX bike and drink like Arizona iced teas and smoke more cigarettes. And like, that was my life for a while. Like your game rhythm. What's that? Like sugar, I'll have all the sugar in the world. Why would you read a nutrition label? So like, that's just like a full lifestyle, like a lifestyle. Totally dude. Totally. Were you addicted to cigarettes, do you think? Or were you doing it just because you were like trying to be cool? Dude, I loved cigarettes. I, I loved cigarettes, man. I started smoking them when I was, uh, when I was uh, just about 17. So in high school. And yeah, I'd like go out to the parking lot. There's no one around. Like I just was like, oh, I'm stressed. I don't like school. 
just want to go smoke a cigarette real quick and like have it with a cup of coffee. And then I worked in a restaurant where everyone smoked. Mm. So, and like restaurants can be stressful. They're super fast paced. So it's like, it's your only excuse to get a couple minutes to yourself because the restaurant, it's like, Hey, you got to run food to that table. Hey, you just got sat at table 62, a, you know, table of six. I'm like, ah, oh, I just need two seconds for a smoke break. And like, Oh, okay. They're smoking. That's cool. Right, <laughs> make it quick. Take your time. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what's messed up about something like, like nicotine, um, cigarettes in general. Like I, I packed dips for a long time and, and got, like just because kind of same deal. Like socially, a bunch of my friends are like wrestlers and football players, and you know, as a runner, I didn't want, I wasn't going to smoke anything, put anything in my lungs. So I would just pack dips and and just do that. And it's the habit and the ritual of it. But then it's fucking addicting, and like it has this draw that pulls you. So something like that's like, oh, I just need a moment by myself. But like you're having like a physical pull to th- that like is also there as well. So it's like compounded. Yeah. What did you say? Say there's multiple factors to that, right? There's like the oral fixation. There's like, there's something you're actually doing. And then there's also the sensation in your body from the nicotine. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't right. know. What was, strong, what was stronger for you? Uh, the nicotine, <laughs> eventually yeah. the nicotine. Yeah. Cause it, it was, it wasn't about being around people or doing it socially or like, um, it would, I would just do it by myself. <laughs> I just do it by myself. <laughs> like I would look forward to, to, to having it. I would like, like plan my day around it or I would get, I'd be like a moody piece of shit if I didn't have it. Um, totally. Did you ever do snooze? Yeah. Yeah. That's I cool. That you're like, you can kind of swallow it and be all right. Yeah. Is that what it was labeled as? Yeah. I tried yeah, that yeah. in high school, man. And that made me sick. Like they're like, oh, and that's like swallow, a low- it's fine. Ugh. And that's like a lower dose of like nicotine than like a, a regular chewing tobacco. Like think about chewing tobacco. Like the person who takes, who does like one or two dips a day, that'd be like the equivalent of, I don't know, like five or six cigarettes maybe. I'm just like saying words. So like you get like three cigarettes in one. So it's like this mega blast of, of nicotine and all that other junk. Um, so it can really kind of send you on, on, on a whack. Laundry's done. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. in the world. Um, so, uh, so what did you do to, what'd you do to break it? Oh, dude. Well, that went on for like seven years. And there were times where I, when the e-cigarette first came out and it actually looked like a cigarette, I remember in the mall, I saw the station was this electronic cigarette and, uh, and I got that and that helped me cut back. But then I started introducing more and dude, I remember there was one day I was smoking this thing and even to this day, there's, you know, they're saying that the, the, like the vape life thing, the, the vaporizers there can be damaging for your lungs in different, in a different way. So I was having like the prototype <laughs> vape, vape pen. Oh God. And, uh, and I was thinking, yeah, this was like, this was 10 years. Uh, cause I tried to quit when I was like 19 or 20. It didn't work, but I had this thing, man. And I remember hawking up like the thickest, gnarliest black mucus. I mean black. And I looked at it and I was horrified. I was like, holy, holy shit. That was inside my lungs. What is, what is that? That is tar. And then part of me thought, oh, okay. Well, I, okay. I, I spit that out. So it got out. So maybe the e-cigarette's good. Maybe it's helped like lifting that up and out. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what happened. Life got more stressful and I started smoking more. I was smoking, I was smoking the e-cigarette going back and forth to the e-cigarette and regular cigarettes. I was smoking like camel wides, which are like practically cigars. And uh, I think I was doing like the patch. I was nicotined out. I go hard when I like get into something. I go, I go hard. That's if there's one thing about me, it's like kind of an addictive personality. So I needed something to replace that. So in like two, also like with smoking, just love the feeling of being able to like feel my lungs. It, in meditation, I had difficulty focusing on the breath and smoking was kind of a meditation in that where you could literally feel the smoke mm-hmm. going in, like feel yeah. your lungs, feel the breath. So uh, I kind of fucked up, but it worked for me. So when I was 20, 24, 25, it was only like four or five years ago that I quit. But uh, yeah, it was my cousin's wedding. And I was just like, 
this sucked, man. I went for a run like a few days before, like a three mile run. It just, it just sucked. My lungs were just hating it. I was like, you know what? This isn't going to do me like any good. Uh, I want to be, I want to be like an athlete and mm. just need to take that step. So I got like a bag of Jolly Ranchers and just started sucking down Jolly Ranchers for the oral fixation to get over it. Nice. Yeah. Cause, yeah, that, it cause again, it's that habit, right? Like when something pops in, you need to figure out how to replace that. And if it's going to give you the same feeling or at least kind of replace it for the time being like the, like physical withdrawals aside, like having the oral fixation is a good way to kind of go about that. Um, cool. Well, I'm glad you stopped. I'm glad you you quit. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk about some habits later on in the episode. And a lot of this is going to kind of come down to things like that, like how to overcome some things that you have, how to, how to recognize, habits that you might want to break or introducing better habits uh, on the nutrition end. So that's going to be the back half of the podcast today. The first half of the podcast, we are going to take on listener question. It's from Glenn Schneider. I think I'm pronouncing that right at, at GM Schneider on Instagram. He asks, what is the most effective active recovery? So this is actually fun to kind of go back. Uh, I've always been looking for an edge on how to make myself feel better as a runner and through college. I've always felt like shit a little bit. So active recovery is kind of something the way that I would just describe this would be a way that you can do something to yourself to help your bounce back. So not necessarily nutrition or or sleep, which we talk about quite a bit, but different things like all these different methods that you do see out there. So Josh, what, what do you think of when you think of active recovery? Like right in the name, active recovery. So ultimately like movement, physical, physical actions that you can take things you, that you can do to, uh, yeah, to, to, well, influence you while you are conscious. Yeah. And that's a great way to kind of put it like, and yeah, things that you can do to yourself, things that are active, things that you have to kind of go out of your, out of your way to do. Um, examples of this would be doing, you know, foam rolling, you know, icing, some compression, stretching, all of these different things have, there's always seems to be something new that's like popping up. Right. And there's always this, this fixation on how to help you, how to essentially buy something or do something that is going to replace the the need to uh, like sleep and eat um, or, or just something extra. Something if you if you think you're dialed in with all these other factors and if you're recovering and you're training really hard, like what are these other things that you can do to add that in? Um, so on my end, some of my favorite would be soft tissue mobility and soft tissue mobility. There's a lot of different ways to kind of present that to, present that to yourself i was gonna say person that came to my mind was like self-myofascial release foam rolling 100 percent. so foam rolling is a good example and it would be like foam rolling it'd be like grassed in like a scraper like flossing that voodoo floss um even like a, a a massage right like going and getting a sports massage and basically what this does it's it's supposed to take the adhesions that might build up in your fascia which is essentially like scar tissue from repetitive damage or being sedentary for a while just and being able to have that fascia kind of glide over your muscles a, a little bit easier um just to kind of help you with movement um josh do you ever use foam rollers or any type of soft soft tissue mobility dude huge huge fan of foam rolling like it can hurt but there's if you if you do it for long, i mean if you like roll on some for 10 seconds you might not really feel much but if you like hang, if i hang out my lap for two three four minutes i'll get up i'll have immediate immediate results like it it worked and then you know i'll follow that up with like a little bit of movement to kind of uh, uh like solidify 
or, uh, or, or influence like a new movement pattern, like uh, influence new uh, muscle tension relationships to a degree. And, you know, that's how you make progress on it. But yeah, dude, I'm formally awesome. I've actually become more of a fan, I think, of the lacrosse ball just because mm. of its ability to like get a little bit deeper and get into like other, yeah, just like different nooks, like along the spine and in the scapula. For sure. Like there are a couple, there's a, so many different tools that essentially kind of do the same thing. Like there'll be like different like kind of cones that like so right. I think you have a so right too, right? That's supposed to kind of target your so as, and it's the same thing. It's just the way that it's positioned and the way that you can kind of move yourself into it. It can target different areas. And one thing that I really like about soft tissue mobility and, and foam rolling in particular is that it's kind of an indicator of what needs to be worked on. So if you are foam rolling and say you're foam rolling your calves and in like the middle of your calf, like it feels okay. And then you roll to like the outside up near your knee and you roll there. It, it's going to be much tighter, especially as runners. And this is an area that you might not even feel during your run, but if you explore, if you're exploring with this soft tissue work, you can know that there might be something that's popping up that you need to address. So when, when do you do foam? Roll? When do you foam roll? <laughs> uh, my habits with foam rolling have kind of changed partially with like, uh, just as like other, other things are happening in my life. But I, I typically foam roll like right around exercise. I'll do it. Uh, like I've been doing mobility work for my shoulders and I'll do it in between. I'll do, I'll do some movements to kind of like warm up my muscles and get my shoulders like, uh, active. And then I'll, I'll like roll my lats out. I'll put, work on my scapula and then I'll go back into some more movement. So it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a rest, but I'm doing it in between, in between movement. And that might be morning. It might be afternoon, but I'm trying to maintain the habit of foam rolling at least a little bit before bed because it's, I mean, as long as you don't like push it too hard, it's still pretty relaxing. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to like enter the pain, the pain area, foam rolling right before bedtime. But yeah, it's a, it's just like a good habit to like get one final little push of blood like through the calves before I lay down for the night or something. And, and really, you could argue that, and I've seen this argument is that it can kind of put you to in a parasympathetic state to really relax you need to and and have foam rolling you know get into these painful areas you need to relax and allow yourself to kind of like melt into whatever tool you're using um so this is kind of an argument both ways like the way you're using it after exercise and later in the day is a good way to help your body relax um because when you get on a foam roller right away you're going to feel that pain almost immediately and just allowing yourself to kind of sit onto it does make your body kind of chill out that if you're going to really get that type of, of um activation from it dude that's actually a really a good word. thing to mention yeah yeah because i've seen in various in various spots online where they're talking about foam rolling like foam roll this spot for 30 seconds i think even the national academy of sports medicine recommends like spending 30 seconds on the spot because it takes about that long to send the signal to your brain to relax that muscle but that's in like a per that's in a perfect situation where you are actually relaxing so i think i think it's much better to spend like a minimum of a minute to actually like get on it and then like consciously really focus on relaxing so that yeah 100 like 30 seconds at least and that's why it's important to explore with something like a foam roller to see where those areas that need the most work would be so that when you have when you get onto it you can have like a plan so instead of, instead of taking these big broad strokes and these big long rolls up and down like your quad or all the way up and down your calf or up your back you can find that pinpoint spot or you could use something like 
a lacrosse ball, which you can only really roll in like a couple inches. So really when I do use it or I recommend the use of it, I have people roll in like six inches, six inch areas just to kind of go back and forth for about that long, just so they can really relax and, and allow themselves to, um, to kind of dive into it. And that's, that's something that's an argument against using it before, um, competition or before like a hard workout, because it will take you out of that sympathetic state and put you more in a relaxed state. But at the same time, I guess it depends on the workout that you have coming up. Like I'll use it sometimes before an easy run just because I don't need to be geared up. And there's also a, a because you are spending time, you get a bit of like a pain reduction. It's like feeling and, and you know, and you mentioned how you'll foam roll and you'll get up and your shoulders will, will be more mobile immediately. They won't stay more mobile. Like you won't right. be more mobile tomorrow because of you foam rolled today. I know you gotta do it all the time. Dang it. Right. And you have to do, and you have to be on top of it. And, and it, it's not going right. to really increase your, your flexibility, but it will reduce your pain and, and increase your range of motion before activity. Um, so that's why it's both ways. Like, right. Like, so then does it really work? Like, what is it really doing? Are you just tricking yourself? <laughs> and there really isn't too much evidence behind things like, um, deep tissue massage that it does change the muscle tissue or, um, that it does help you get better. And that's with everything with flossing, with Graston, with, with foam rolling. So like, does it work if you ask like an evidence-based oh practitioner dude. dude yeah there's so much to you that man it's like i mean first and foremost probably if it just like if it feels good that's a good psychological boost you know right maybe it helps like relax you for sleep or something like that so that's that's a boost but what's what's interesting is like how does it change the tissue yeah if you have like little adhesions and if you hit it right by right i mean like like the right angle maybe going with the fibers and like putting enough pressure on it for the right amount of time like the right amount of pressure uh, like with the grit, like grass or whatever. Uh, yeah, maybe you'll, you'll help release little knots that you have in the muscle. Uh, but it, I mean, like at the very least I've read about it. I mean, it improves circulation. Cause it's like, kind of like you were saying, you can roll like the whole muscle or you can stick to a small area. And I think that there's value in both. Like the small area would be more so like getting into a little knot or relaxing a certain spot of tension, right? Or not. And then maybe going over the whole area, like slowly to kind of push, push blood, you know, up and like also like lymphatic fluid you're, you're pushing uh, up. So that is helping with circulation. So, so the, and, and like with that, you're helping to like remove maybe debris, like, like waste out of the area that maybe wasn't able to get out before. And then, you know, and then there, then fluid comes back into the area to kind of like, like to replenish the area. Right. And this is, that's a, the explanations that you do get from, um, practitioners of this, you know, that there, there is something that will happen that, and, and I, and I don't disregard that because some, sometimes they're just not a test to show evidence yet. Like this is not something that we might have any need to create a test to figure out like how things are moving and how adhesions are actually be bro being broken up. Like, cause I think it works, <laughs> you know, like I, I, it's my favorite because when I go to a, a massage, like I come out and I feel better. And is that placebo? Is that mental? Is it just as I'm relaxed? I'm less stressed? Like maybe, but I know last year I had this awful, awful pain through my quad and my knee. And I went, um, to a PT who I work with right here in town called Zarrett rehab shouts to Joe Zarrett. It's my guy, but he did uh, a grass in all up and down my quad and into like my knee and my IT band. The next day I was better. I was actually better. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. And like, 
can if there's no change from Monday to Tuesday based on some sort of testing or some something that we needs to have that would be concluded as evidence like I still think it worked I was I wasn't able to run and then I was able to run so dude so here's what's really interesting right it's like did anything happen to like the mu- the muscle the tissue itself or is is it just that that like disruption in in the like the pains the pain receptors, right? So mm. that's that's something that I've been reading about. Uh, like like these trigger guns, um, cell mm. fast release does this. The uh, uh, electric electronic stimulators, like like Compex or whatever, yep. those things. One of the it, when I read about them, they're not really directly saying like, oh, this is going to like improve the quality of your tissue. Everything seems to be about more so pain reduction because it's something that you're doing, and it's not. It's not super long lived. It's something you have to do like frequently, but it'll like dull the pain for 48, 72 hours or something like that. So if you have like pain in your knee, someone does something to this, you go for a run. It's like the, the thing that was causing the pain might still be there, but you're not, you're just not feeling it. And that's, that's what I'm interested about. I'm curious what that's actually going on there. And is it, is that good? Is that really good? Is that good? Right. Like, should we be ignoring these signals essentially, like just kind of blocking them out for the time being? And will they come back? Like usually yes. Um, Or is there something mechanically happening in there where it's moving something out? Um, Because yeah, you mentioned Theragun, um, the, the, the compacts or whatever, those that's all same deal. That's essentially soft tissue work. And like most of these new products that come out, I don't know much about cupping, but I'm think cupping is the same, same deal it all has to do with this type, these type of pain signals and you're right. Like it are, are these pain signals misguided? Is it something that is supposed to be that, that where there might be some sort of it, it, like something inhibiting your movement or needs to be recognized somewhere else. And, and this is just where the pain seems to manifest. Like, and if you just remove it from there, are you going to be okay? Like, where is it coming from? Those are the big questions that are hard to answer and like, yeah, is it okay to to run essentially to block out pain? Um, totally, yeah, it's a tough question because right, you could in like reducing pain that might actually help you to uh, uh, mitigate certain maybe changes you have in like your gait while you're running that was causing the damage. Maybe like getting rid of that pain helps you run better because you're not making a subconscious, uh, yeah, change. You know, that's a great point. Right. Like if you're not, na- if your natural gait or if there is patterns that happen or if you sit all day or whatever it is that is inhibiting you from falling into a, a proper pattern, like if you take away that pain, like does that help your efficiency and just like right. your, your overall? Such a hard, such a hard right. question to answer. <laughs> and it's just, and it's just things that we don't know. We just don't know any of, the, any of these things yet. So when it comes to using um, any of this soft tissue stuff, it all is kind of the same. <laughs> so like no matter what way that you want, to whatever product you want to use, like use it, use it consistently and, and determine it, make the determination on yourself. Like I know I like the foam roller. I, I bought a Graston thing because I was so blown away by it. Like I would never buy a Theragun. I would never buy uh, a Compax um, just based on the price. I have the Voodoo Floss too. And yeah, I, I love the Voodoo Floss. I've just seen people Voodoo Flossing for like, that just popped up on my, uh, to my attention, like the past two weeks, I've seen a few people doing that. It's cool. It's really cool. Cause it's, so the voodoo floss is essentially like a, 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 a tire tube, um, a tire, like inner tube, I believe they, they you could. So if you don't want to buy the one from rogue, I mean, it's not too expensive cause uh-huh. it is just a rubber band, a huge rubber band. And you just essentially tie it around your calf or your quad or your elbow, whatever it is, um, giving you 
pain and you just tie it on there and just kind of move around. <laughs> you just kind of move around. You just tie it on real tight and kind of move around. Fascinating. And, and it just does that same type of thing. It just helps with the glide between the fascia and the muscle tissue and, and, and it's supposed to just break up adhesions. But it's really nice because it's – That makes sense, yeah. It's more of a big blanket, so it doesn't have to be like really pinpoint like you would with a, a foam roller or a, um, a lacrosse ball, and it just kind of sucks a little bit less, you know. So well, it's cool. like, yeah, think thinking about it, that actually I haven't tried that, but it kind of it, it makes sense conceptually because you're just put, creating tension around these muscles, and then you're moving kind of naturally. So mm-hmm. it sounds like you're adding like a level of stiffness to like the superficial parts of the muscle. And then like the inner muscle is still doing its movement. And that would cause gliding like on the fascia. 100%. Yeah. And I think I think that's essentially what it's doing. And it works. It's like this, it works the same as any as anything else here does. Like if you have uh, calf pain, and like you you're before you run and you put it on you do some um, squats and some calf raises. It, it, it feels better. <laughs> it, it really does. Score, um, dude. Totally. So you have? I used uh, Graston. Is that what you call it? That's like the brand name for it. You just call it like a scraper. There's a, a brand, like a, there's a dude named Graston who like kind of popularized it. But there's a brand that you can buy on your own. It's called uh, that I have. It's called Sidekick. Um, but you can go oh, check. I've heard out. of that. Totally heard of that. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, my girlfriend was using, she got like a, a stone. It was just a different brand where they, you know, like, like Gua Sha. It's, it's called, no, like that's like the ancient version of it. it's called like Gua Sha. I think I like that. I like that. Well, yo, it, I, she, she said that it helps a lot and I used it on, uh, on my calf and I, I think I used it on my shin too. I did it a while ago and I only did it once, but like I was actually sore the next day in a very interesting, in a very interesting way. It just hmm. made me think like, what did I do? what what happened there what did i what did i do i can't say i can't i'd have to try it again to like to to really get a better idea of what happened there but i'm pretty sure things felt like softer the tissue felt a little more like malleable and workable so maybe it did really break break some stuff up because the cool thing about that one is like you're supposed to go kind of with the fibers Mm -hmm. right so yeah 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 and that'll turn did you turn like purple i did not turn purple am i supposed to turn purple did you turn purple Dude, hell yeah, I turned purple. If, when I got it done by uh, my dude Joe Zarrett, shouts to Joe Zarrett again. If you're Philly, go check him out. Like he did one time, he did like my shoulder, uh, like and chest, and from like my bicep all the way through my pec was straight up purple. Like, and like then he did bruised? it. Yeah, yeah, straight bruised. And like it's not, it's like a weird sensation because he got it's because it's not like deep in how like a. Uh, a, a deep tissue massage would be where they're kind of in there and grinding and that just hurts. It like kind of glides over. So you can kind of feel the, the, like the grooves in your muscles. And you're like, this is so uncomfortable and weird. Like it kind of hurts, but it like, it's just like a strange feeling that you're like, I don't think I like this. All right. So if you look like you got attacked by a bear, you did it right. Yeah. And I could, I pictures up. I could, I could send it. I could post it. Yeah. All, all my quad, he did it too. Same deal. Ooh, like, yeah. Send me a picture of your quad. Thing. You can see it all the way up, like shorter than, shorter than short shorts. Dude, I just got a pair of like two-inch inseam shorts. I, I wore them to the grocery store, and I leaned over to grab a cart, a hand cart, and people saw ass for sure. Co- the cops came. <laughs> you got in trouble. <laughs> New pair of shorts. Um, so you also like to use uh, like some hot and cold contrast, right? Like you're, you're a big fan of using temperature. Uh, as part of your active recovery. So um, tell me a little bit about that because like icing is something that has been 
known like thought of as a recovery method for ever like the rest ice compression elevate the whole right, yeah. situation um so ice is part of this so tell me about what you you what you do for ice and or hot and cold stuff i'll tell you what, what the reason i love those so much is because like they've been around the longest you would probably imagine it's like there's all these new technologies and a lot of them are cool and kind of like we were saying a lot of them do similar things just in kind of a different way and it's almost like which one do you like the most like actually funny thing is i just ordered uh one of the less expensive trigger point guns from amazon just to nice. see what it's like because like i love foam rolling but it might be cool like i'll notice I've, i'm rolling my calves and like and my hamstring is loose so much like i'm spending a lot of time with my my arms behind me you know your your arms get tired and it's not always practical to foam roll everywhere you go so i'm like oh, i'm in a more confined space from like in my van or something this this item will do something similar maybe do it a little bit quicker and it's kind of like mm-hmm. fun because it's different so i was like okay that's a hundred dollars that i'm willing to spend not a regular theragun which is like 700 it's crazy so, that the brand recognition dude, it had enough good reviews on amazon so i'm like it's worth the risk. try it i've seen oh, ones yeah. like if people if you have like a sawzaw there's just like attachments that go on to your sawzaw it's like the same thing <laughs> it's gonna, like, gonna, i was totally gonna do that yeah you probably get squash balling it or something but uh, <laughs> I was going to do the same thing. And then people in reviews were saying that like, you just can't, you have to keep your finger on the trigger, number one. And then because it's how hard you press the trigger with uh, with a Sawzall is you, it's really hard to keep like consistent pressure. And also oh, it has like a larger range of motion. So it's just like, it is intense. And also you have to plug it in typically. That makes sense. It would be more, it'd be, it's less optimal, but like, if you want to just try it, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I appreciate oh, okay. the people that are making it out of that. I appreciate the ingenuity that they're going out and like fixing that up. They're like, Oh, I had this old sawzall I never used. Now I got a Theragun. <laughs> well, it's cool. Like keep us on that because that's a good point that you brought up. Like it's a matter of like what tool or what instrument you feel like you'll be more prone to use. Like the flossing takes a minute to, assemble kind of to like put it on yourself um whereas like a, a lacrosse ball you just grab it and go but like you might get lazy with a lacrosse ball where like the flossing that'll just make it happen like a theragun it takes the user error out of it a little bit when it comes Dude, to like yeah, the pressure for sure it takes work yeah um so it's cool that, that i mean that that that's the main deal behind that stuff is like whatever you're gonna use and whatever you're gonna use consistently like that's what you should do yeah that's a super solid point but i uh, i uh, about like hot cold contrast that i feel like that kind of precedes all of these other technologies um yeah, it's just been around the longest. So the cool thing about about temperature is our body wants to maintain, well, it w- wants to be in homeostasis. And so when we are, when our core temperature rises to preserve your organs, so, you know, your, and your insides, so they don't fry, your body wants to cool off. So your blood vessels dilate, uh, blood goes to the surface to help bring warm blood from your core to the surface to cool a lot of that heat. So those blood vessels open and then vice versa happens when you are exposed to cold temperature you want to preserve the the most important organs so you can survive so that's why your limbs get cold your fingers and toes get numb that's why they're most prone to frostbite because the blood the blood vessels are constricting to lower the amount of blood leaving the torso out to those limbs to protect the organs so you just like so those don't freeze right and so what what's cool is there's there's similarities in what those the that temperature exposure does and what some of these other tools do so like with foam rolling for example when you glide your body over the foam roller let's say you're foam rolling your leg it's going to push blood across the surface of that muscle and deep to whatever level i don't know but it's going to help push blood through that muscle and that's in one spot that's in one location 
if you were to jump into a cold pool your entire body, your initial reaction one is to try and breathe because it's going to be shocking. You're like, <clears throat> but what happens like to your muscles and your or your blood vessels rather is they all start to constrict to pull that blood towards the torso because all of a sudden the mind says, "Whoa, this is cold. We don't know how long we're going to be in here. Let's get that blood to the torso pronto." And it happens pretty quickly. So what happens is all of this blood that's out in your extremities it helps get pulled back through the main organs, where whereas it, where like filtration is happening the most. And what's cool is if you contrast this cold with heat, which is something that's become much more popular, you can know, do it in the shower or with full pools going back and forth, whatever you have available to you, if showers are super easy, pretty much everyone has them available, is you can go back and forth between this cold and this heat. And so this is uh, vasoconstriction with the cold exposure and then vasodilation with the heat exposure. Your body's going back and forth and it's kind of confusing to a degree. Your brain's like, what do I do? Blood vessels shut, blood vessels open. And what's, what's really cool about this is that they're, when your blood vessels, like I was saying, when they close up a little bit, they're not literally closing, but they, they, the pathway is narrow. Mm-hmm. And when they open back up, there's like a rush of blood. And then vice versa, the blood rushes back. And what this does is it helps remove debris and helps bring more blood back into the area when you go to the heat again. And what's also really neat about this is this isn't just beneficial for while you're doing it. So while you're doing it, you're getting fresh blood in, blood out, waste material out, going back and forth. You know, maybe you do like five rounds of like cold for 20 seconds, heat for 20 seconds. And in a few minutes, you know, you got your active shower recovery. But what's neat about this is that your, your blood vessels are, are muscles. So you are actually improving their contractility or contractility and their malleability and their ability to perform this out in nature, which is super valuable uh, when temperatures are changing slowly, quickly, you know, maybe you're in an obstacle course race and you jump into a cold pool, it will ultimately be less shocking and your body is going to recover quicker and you're going to maintain, you know, your, maybe your legs won't stiffen up so quickly. So that's a, a pretty neat side benefit to that. So if you, if you were one of those people, one of the many people who got knocked out of Tahoe last year because that cold plunge, this is a really cool, cool practice, like not practical, but, but it like makes sense. Like to me, it's intuitive. Like, Hey, if you want to get better at handling the cold, like practice a way to handle hundred percent, hundred percent. Same reason you go out on a hard run, experience what your muscles feel like, experience where your head goes. Yeah. And I like the idea of like the, the opening and, and constricting of, of the blood vessels and having it work in both ways, right? And like taking what nature already has to you. And this is almost like hacky kind of. Would you kind of put this in the term of like a, a biohack? Dude, it's fun. It's like that's a fun term to put on and I feel like it gets more attention. But it's like one of these things that's been around for so for so long. I mean, yeah. I go. mean – any, any, any like biohack, I, th- I feel like is, cause it is part of our biology. Like, right. like people talk about ketones, like we've had ketones. It's not just something that we did now. It's like, that, that is something that exists within us, but no, this is cool. It's like taking the biology that we have and using it to our advantage. A lot of times biohacking kind of gets this weird stigma of like doing fucking crazy stuff with lights and, 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 and it is kind of, but this is a more, more practical way, but when it comes to that, the one issue I run into with the contrast is I said practical like three times now, but is it like, how practical is it? Like I have, uh, and like the timing of having a cold tub or a hot, and a hot tub or a sauna and a, a cold shower, or 
Um, so like how quickly do you need to kind of go back and forth? How crucial is it to have the timing down to it? Um, do you know? So it's like, depending on what tools you have, I'm personally the biggest fan of like sauna and then followed by cold shower or cold plunge if that's available. And I'll, I'll really just do it at my leisure and I'll pay no attention to time. I'll just go by feels like, Oh, I'm really hot. I'm going to go take a three minute cold shower, cool down, go back in the sauna. You know, if I have the time, that's like luxury day. But for the shower, for what I have, what I have read is that it's good to do 10 seconds of uh, heat, 20 seconds of cold. I, personally think that that is a little quick uh when i take a shower uh, anecdotally i like to go more towards like 30 seconds 40 seconds i just feel like it takes that long maybe it's because i've been doing it for a while i don't know it but to really feel the heat and then to really feel the cold i want to want the other temperature you know it's and, and dramatic. right and if you don't have like an actual tub like where you are immersed um maybe in an ideal world like okay 20 seconds you said 20 seconds cold or 20 seconds hot well, you can do both. So uh, from what Either I way. read, when, if you look on a website, you're probably going to find 10 seconds hot, 20 seconds cold. Okay. but like, in, And that w- would work if you had a hot tub next to a cold tub. But like a sauna, it takes longer. So, I was gonna say, than... so, that, so that's for a shower. That's for a shower. Oh, that's, that's for a shower. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that's something, yeah. If you're, I mean, what's also interesting about this, and I wonder why that's so so common online as far as the, the timing goes for that shower uh, contrast. Because when it comes to when it comes to like altering your body temperature, if you are fully submerged in a body of water, that's going to influence your body temperature even faster. So I, but at the same time, it, it, it seems very unpractical Just use the word practical, you know, to get in and out of, of, a, of a tub so quickly back and forth. It's like, I would say, take your time. I think that there's really no harm unless the bodies of water are literally physically damagingly like hot or cold. It's like, you know, if you have a, <laughs> if you have like a hundred and five, 110 degree hot tub, and then you have like a 40 degree cold pool, I see absolutely no reason to, to do any less than a minute in either or, or any more than a couple or a few minutes in either. And it's better to go back and forth to again, cause that constriction and dilation of the blood vessels. That's really what you want to go for here is that opening and that narrowing. Because you'll still get that even if you're in it longer, right? Like you still get that 10 seconds on one and 20 on the other or whatever the the literature is pointing to, even if you stay for a minute on each. Right, right. right. Totally. And I would think that to even a greater degree because again, like the longer you're in there, the, uh, the deeper that temperature is going to have an effect. Like at first it's just superficial and the long, it's like thawing a steak, you know, it's like first the outside gets soft, but the inside is still frozen. But if you leave it out mm. long enough, you're, you know, it's going to influence the temperature deeper in. So I see no reason if you have the time to, to really rush it. Uh, <laughs> someone else might be like, Oh, I'm only staying in that cold, that cold pool for like 10 seconds. Yeah. It's, it's cold. But that's where like the mental aspect comes into it. Yeah, I've had a tough time with the actual doing the contrast. Like I said, at, the, at a, uh, one of the gyms that I belong to has a sauna, and I'll, I'll go back and forth sauna into the, a cold shower um, to kind of get these type of benefits. And that, that's the closest I've been able to come up with it. You'll just do it right in the shower? Yeah, it's super-duper simple. I mean, I, uh, like in summertime, I'll probably just go straight cold because it's so hot outside. Uh, but, but yeah, like right now I've been doing more uh, contrast. Yeah, I'll just put on a song that's like six, seven minutes long and I'll just get in, you know, I'll clean up if I got it and then spend five minutes going back and forth between hot and cold. I'll mm. probably do it, probably do the hot and cold back and forth five, six, seven times. I'm not looking at the clock, I'm going by feel, you know? Yeah, I like that. And I like, I like this 
idea of the contrast. And I think that there is, we, we've talked about cold showers before and just like the mental toughness that it can bring. And I think that that's also, if nothing else, like that could be something that w- is, is helpful with something like Dude, this. There are, are a cornucopia of benefits to cold exposure. Everyone should be doing it. So when, it, what about just cold exposure? Like Dude. when we'll talk, let's, let's bounce back to just the cold itself. All right, let's flow with it. So I, the, the neatest thing about the cold exposure is that it has an awesome influence on inflammation. So you mentioned like rice before, right? Like the ice compressed elevate icing is, is mostly acute. You do it to a local area where there seems to be uh, an insult, right? There's mixed literature. There seems to be more leading towards the fact that that might not be the greatest thing to do due to the fact that inflammation is part of the recovery process. Really, there it seems to be that the only beneficial time to ice an area acutely is if there is inflammation to the degree to the degree where the inflammation itself is causing damage, such as uh, a concussion, swelling of the brain. It's very important to cool that very quickly, uh, or maybe another area where the inflammation is actually uh, uh, damaging or reducing blood flow to a dangerous degree. That's mm. that's, that's like the, yeah, like a massive contusion or something. Like totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So the neat thing about a cold shower is it attacks inflammation more systemically. There is a there there's a, rea- a reaction that happens when you're exposed to the cold for long enough, where the body gets stressed out, and it, you end up with higher levels of uh, anti-inflammatory cytokines, and they're pretty much these things that go around the body and eat up inflammation. And it's like it's in your bloodstream, it's traveling around and eating up inflammation. So it's not ice in this acute area restricting blood flow. It is a, a physical little body inside of your inside of your blood vessels going around and mun- munching up inflammation, and so and that's fantastic because inflammation is caused by so many things, whether it's an insult from hard training or it's an insult from eating inflammatory foods, which is totally. uh, another topic. But uh, And on top of that, the the benefits you get from your brain is not only like mental hardening because it's uncomfortable and you're like, oh, but I'm tough because I handled the cold. But also you're getting like norepinephrine boosts. You're getting improvements in your serotonin and dopamine systems in your brain. And you actually get that with the heat too. So like through these exposures – you're actually going to improve your mental state and your physical state. Right. And I like this more like the systemic inflammation versus the uh, acute inflammation because that that really is the argument against it, right? And that's the thing. Like you need inflammation when you sprain your ankle. Though, Like it blows up because essentially your body is sending a signal to send repair agents to your ankle. So that's – and they all get kind of bound up in there and then just there's no room. So your ankle gets – bigger and you see it and the 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 worst injury the more recovery agents if, if you will will get down there and it'll be bigger so yes ice w- is supposed to reduce that inflammation but like is that better for your overall recovery it doesn't seem like it is and uh, but there is again there's uh something that goes along the line of pain reduction and which which ice does as well so like if you need to um, I, I, to reduce the actual pain, then potentially I, I would do that. Do you ice acutely at all anymore? I do not. However, that that is a good point. If you can reduce the pain in an area where there is an injury, because when it comes to injury, it's, it is really important to move it to a degree. Mm. And so if you can, uh, again, it's hard to know exactly how much is the best, but if you can reduce the pain and move through like a safe 
range of motion that isn't causing more damage, that would that would actually be really beneficial. And if you can just reduce the pain enough to do that, then uh, you know I, I wouldn't say that ice is bad. It might be a way to do that. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't follow the rice protocol, which I think is pretty intensive. I think they say like every twenty minutes for like days or something like that. It's just like something, yeah, yeah, something like over the top. And and I could see how like when this was the emerging, um, you know, uh, the emerging way of handling these uh, these injuries, you would see that this reduced inflammation. Be like, okay, it's getting better. But like it's it's not like visibly it's different than actually like the physical part. Um, yeah, I do. I used to ice all the time. That was what we did in, in college. We would run and then we'd go and we'd get ice ice bags, fill it with, and then just like suck the air out. So it was real tight, and we would just ice our Brutal. shins, our knees, oh, wherever. Oh. I used to have. I would ice two or three times a day. I had in my college house. I had uh, like these frozen bags of peas. And I had like two long sleeve shirts and I'll just tie these peas to my shins. And, uh, and like, I, that's what I thought I was supposed to do. That's what I thought helped. And it really never did. Cause I did it probably for two or three years straight. And like, if it actually helped, like, do you think it, like that would actually stop happening? Maybe but, you gotta go, maybe you gotta go like kick some, some bamboo trees, see how those shins are. Maybe they're tough as hell. <laughs> just, just blast. Maybe you give it a test, but never know unless you do it. Science. The, um, yeah. And like, this is way, this is well before, like I changed my running form. That's a whole different episode. We need to talk about like running form and like running injuries. Um, because like I thought ice was helping me get better, but really it was just, uh, something that like the, just generally everybody thought you were supposed to do. So I did it. Um, but I don't think that shit did nothing. Mm. I mm. said at the end, I said when I graduated, I was going to eat those peas. I didn't eat them. I, I, I should have eaten. That would have been, been hilarious, peas. but I didn't eat the peas. Full circle. Uh, so some other stuff, uh, let's just keep rolling with this. The other stuff that, um, some of the stuff that, that is kind of active, I would say, but a little bit passive would be like compression. Um, and mostly compression is seen in attire and, and some sort of, uh, clothing do you have any compression gear man i have I, it might be listed as compression it's like you know you can get you can get leggings like man tights but at what point are they compression i don't think that the items that i have were actually listed as compression um although i do have a pair of compression socks which is noticeably tight uh and they go up about halfway up the calf yeah, I, I kind of have the same deal. Like, I don't know when compression becomes compression. I know there's medical grade compression that, you know, you would use for someone. I think it's a good practice for someone who has diabetes or just has like a uh, less. Um, yeah, was it renal pressure where you have like, like, yeah, blood pressure issues and there's like blood pooling in the feet? Yeah. So things like that. Like, I think that's like medical grade compression. I don't know what, like, I, I know there is some sort of measurement for it. Um, but I think things are marketed as compression or people might buy tights and just think that they're compression. Um, do you, do you wear them like during recovery or during races? I'm trying to think about past races. And I'm like, I feel like I usually see you wear shorts. I don't know if I've ever seen, maybe I saw you wear like two XU a while ago. Mm, I, I wear tights. You do. Um, right. I do wear t- sometimes I, I use, I was wearing some man pre's last year. Those are pretty sweet, but they weren't that tight. And I like that idea of getting, getting over my knees, but not all the way down. Uh-huh. I like a man pre, but uh, just something tight, not not ever for the reason of the compression benefit. So compression is supposed to be the same kind of idea that it is going to reduce the inflammation in different areas. Um, 
but that kind of goes along the same idea as icing. So like if it does happen to reduce the inflammation after a workout, it might then reduce adaptation as well. Dude, that's uh, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's along the line, the same deal. Like if you, you need to have these recovery agents sent to what needs to be recovered. And if, and if compression is reducing that, then it, it might, it, like evidence has shown that it, it does reduce adaptation. So I would use compression gear with a purpose. Um, one thing that it would do. So to reduce like general soreness. So like a lot of times like soreness in like the calves, like comes from like that eccentric loading, right? Like you land and, and your muscles stretch mm-hmm. and it, it cr- creates these micro tears and like more vibration when you're running like in this repetitive nature creates more of these micro tears. And that's essentially what that soreness is, right? If you have compression socks on, it will keep it tighter and reduce the amount of motion that's happening during your run. And therefore it should make you less sore. Um, but it's the same deal. So like maybe if you're prepared, maybe on race day, it might be a good option so that you can bounce back and, and train well. So you're not overly sore, but if you wear them as a way to prevent injury or a way to just feel better all the time, you're not going to get the same adaptation and you're, it's going to almost be like a crutch. Um, so that's like the only viable way I see compression helping at all <laughs> um, is just that reduction of like the vibrations that happen yeah. within like your calves. I don't see how that could help within your quads. I don't see how it could help within like your shoulders. I was going to say, have you like, have you felt any difference between the attire that you race in? Uh, just no, just uh, more that I like the way it feels. Like I like the way tight clothing feels, especially for competition. Um, you wear, t- you wear like tight tops, right? You know, I go, I, I, I like never wear tops. I, I got this, dude, I was at a Spartan race. Well, why would you, bro? Yeah, I, I know. I want to show sexy torso. Uh, uh. I found a, <laughs> yeah, I found a, uh, a shirt, or Monica found a shirt uh, on the, like, the ground, and we're like ground scorers, you know, we'll throw shop. We're no shame. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you can. And uh, I got this, it was a Spartan, like, tight shirt. And I was like, oh, well, this this looks cool, and it feels kind of cool. Like, I'll, you I'll try somebody's out. shirt? Dude, they left that shirt for me. Okay? <laughs> that was left on the ground in a, in a corridor at a stadium race. On Monica, I, I trust Monica. She's like, yeah, I was finding out for like 10 minutes and no one came back for it. So I walked back and was still there. I was like, I'm going to snag. I'm going to snag. Snag the swag. Uh, but I didn't – I mean, I don't really like the shirts too much. Uh, but as far as like tights go or, or shorts go, I also do like how they feel. Yeah. I do, but I don't know if I would really say, I feel like they like reduce vibration. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say that at all. You can't feel uh, any difference that way. Like, if it just makes you feel more athletic, then yes. <laughs> and oh, I, that's, that's basically what I, what I, why I would wear compression, but I would never buy compression for the sake of buying something compression that it's, that hoping it's going to help my recovery. Have you ever worn, uh, uh, like shin, uh, shin sleeves like or calf sleeves? uh just the sleeves um yes yeah i think that was my first piece of compression that i had it was like a the zenza just the sleeves dude um, ditto first piece of pr- compression gear ever like i'll, I'll give them a try because i was thinking about the vibration thing i'm like oh my calves get all sore and stuff uh and i wore those i don't know if you remember man i wore these blue sleeves compression sleeves uh at new jersey super in like 2017 yeah i think 2017 i was racing against I was racing against you. We were battling? Dude, we were battling, man. I think you beat me on that one. You got fifth. I got sixth. You passed me on the bucket carry. 
Yeah, I did. And, uh, <laughs> dude, but I remember I wore those calf sleeves and like after the first climb, my calves cramped like they had never had. And it was because I didn't train with them. I And they were way too tight and they just, dude, messed my day up. So you're lucky, son. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that is a deal with those. Like, yeah, if you're going to – it kind of goes against what I just said. But like if you're going to use them, use them on race day, but also maybe – Give them a try. Give them a try out. Give yeah. them a try first. And 100%. the calf sleeves are are definitely less tight than the socks I've found. Um, but don't no, get them. Tight. Don't, tight. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, there's different sizes. But don't get them and hope that it's going to help with your recovery. I bought them initially because I was getting these shin splints so bad. And I would have Achilles tendon, tendon issues all the time. Um, so I bought it and just hoped that it would help. And it didn't. Um, and it won't. And this kind of is along the same lines of those Normatec boots. Have you seen those? Totally, man. I've actually, I used them after, uh, after an ultra marathon and I think they just felt fantastic because I had just run an ultra marathon and it was an excuse to put my legs up, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, they, they were interesting and right. So the idea is compression and the, the one thing that is, com- that is cool about like the Normatec style is that it, they inflate certain chambers at a time and they kind of, uh, progress like up the leg. So similar to like foam rolling really slowly and all around the leg at the same time, you just like push the blood up towards the torso and then the whole boot like relaxes and allows blood to flow back in. Then it repeats the process. So have you used them? I, I have once. Yeah. Um, same spot. My guy, Joe Zaret, third shout out. Um, <laughs> go to Joe's. Everyone go to Joe's. Go to Joe's. But same, I, I kind of think it's like what you nailed it. Like it just feels really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And there is, there actually has been evidence that, you know, touch, like having like, a, like, uh, having some sort of affectionate touch does help recovery. And I think it just kind of helps relaxation. Yeah. Um, you, close, you close your eyes. Norma Tech is like 50 hands massaging your legs at the same time. Right. And it's, it's great. And it feels awesome. And it kind of goes along the lines of if you think it works, it works. And it might have a little bit of the soft tissue mobility work at the same time as the compression. So maybe it's a two for one, um, but they're expensive, man. hundred percent. And I think that you can get a similar result from doing a combination of such as, uh, as like, yeah, the, the, a little bit of foam rolling and just elevate your legs. Like legit. Have you ever felt like blood pooling your leg? Just lay on your back and put your legs up on the couch or up on a wall and like hang out there for a minute or two. And uh, man, that's <laughs> you're, you're working with gravity. You know, that's a really simple way that you can kind of emulate the effects of some of these other tools. And, uh, and another, just like touch on, on compression, like gear, not normal tech, but just wearing stuff. Uh, I actually, I'm going to get a pair of compression because I spend more and more time working like at a standup desk. And even though I do move around, uh, I do want to experiment with having a little bit more, uh, I just want to see what happens when I contrast gravity a little bit. Cause yeah, when you're standing, blood's kind of pulling out the legs and the compression, at least in the, uh, I mean, if you have compression, it's going to ultimately help with like venous return, help blood get mm. back to the heart and then I'll sure. pump the body. So it very well might help in like a stagnant, in a stagnant situation. That, that's a good point. And, and, you know, on flights, long car rides, if you are there sanitary you know. at work, like if you have to sit for, you know, four or five hours at a time, there's definitely merit for them, but um, not after a hard workout. Like there isn't much, like if you ha- go ha- do a hard workout and then work with it, I think it goes along the same lines as reducing adaptation. I don't know. Yeah. Play around with it. See, see how, totally. see how it works. But totally. I, I, th- I think that's a good point. Just on that note of like uh, of adaptation, I just wanted to mention before I forget, like the, t- yeah, the timing on all of this 
the timing on all is important. So actually, if if when you use these modalities in your life, like how do you time them along your day or your workouts? With uh, all of this? Yeah, where, where do these things fit into your training? So soft tissue stuff is usually post-training and, and not immediate. It's usually later in the day or earlier in the day before training. Um, I separate them. They're not part of my workout. They are uh, its own type of recovery uh like recovery time, um, or I'll kind of couple it with strength workouts. I'll use soft tissue sometimes as, uh, like my pre warm up. I guess you would say, uh, just cause just to reduce a little bit of pain, just to increase a little bit of mobility. Um, if I'm going to be doing something that is, mo- uh, mobility intense. Um, so I usually separate it. I'll, I'll do it at different points of the day. What about you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing like my cold contrast in the morning, either like straight up cold shower or cold contrast in the morning because mo- even if my workout is in the morning, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the afternoon, it's like I don't want to just go jump in a cold bath immediately after because like we were saying, you're going to you're going to blunt that adaptation. And that's valuable if you're doing back-to-back races. If you do a race, do a warm down you know, maybe do a little bit of uh, of uh, self myofascial release, and then yeah, take a cold bath, and, mm-hmm. and want that inflammation so you are a little fresher the next day. Because the goal of that race isn't to get so much fitter; it's just to perform well the next day. Right. But if you're during training, the idea is to get maximal adaptation out of every single session. So I would not recommend doing cold exposure. You know, in the hours immediately following your training, uh, I like doing my my cold exposure in the morning. Because even if I did a late afternoon workout, I still have more than 12 hours between those two things. Mm. That's a good point. And I think before on previous episodes, you mentioned trying to use uh, cold exposure to blunt um, hypertrophy kind of along, along, along the same lines, right? I'm actually glad you brought that up. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of interesting, right? If, so if you're, doing, if you're doing like strength training and maybe you're doing some hypertrophy work, like really high volume, then yeah, maybe getting into uh, doing some cold exposure after that would blunt the adaptation of maybe the muscle growth. I'd have to look more into that to see where like that money spot is between gaining uh, like maximal strength gains without putting on like muscle size. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, way, especially for endurance and OCR, uh, because where hypertrophy might be beneficial to some, it's probably not for most. Um, Have you ever done a float tank? dude i have done a float tank yeah 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 i did uh i did it a few times i did a 60 minute and it, it was like it was so weird it was so quiet you can hear your brain working you can hear your heart pumping i mean it's it's ultimately sensory deprivation you're floating in this tank it's big enough where you can kind of float around maybe you'll bump into the edges but if you get still you just kind of hang out in this like four by eight tank that's only like a foot deep but there's so much magnesium salt in it it's so dense it's like you're floating in the dead sea uh but, but yeah, I, I did that like 60 minutes, went by so quick, and I was just trying to get kind of get into the zone because it was such a new experience. But like the 90-minute time was dope. I'm pretty sure I had some epiphanies. I like probably came up with 57 inventions, and I had my iPhone sitting on the corner of the tub, and I was just talking out loud like as things were coming to my head. And then that the recording? phone got stolen. Yeah. Oh, Brutal. no way. Brutal. Dude, totally. <laughs> Someone went in there? Where, it, no, oh, no, 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 it got stolen. It got stolen like oh, two later. Days later at a gym. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sucks. But anyways, um, okay, cool. You done it? 
I have, and and yeah, like you mentioned, it's a sensory deprivation tank. For those who haven't seen, it. I mean, they're pretty. They're they're they've been popularized. There's essentially spas dedicated just to having these tanks of water that you can sit into. And you go and, inside there, and they're like, "So, have you uh, listened to Joe Rogan?" <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, like, I heard about full tanks from Joe Rogan. Yes. Yeah, like, he's he's <laughs> the reason like why it's such a big deal. And if you listen to Joe Rogan, he probably has talked about it. Um, but yeah, they're they're cool, and they're, they. What do you think about those for recovery? Dude, so that's well. There's there's two cool things about that. One, I mean, they're kind of expensive. It's similar to getting a massage, um, but the thing about it is, one, you're getting the the magnesium salts, which have a relaxing effect on the muscles, which is very nice. If you help those muscles relax, maybe they'll uh, they'll just operate a little bit better as far as them being able to, uh, uh, well, move in unison. Maybe I don't know too much about a magnesium salt, but maybe it does have a similar. It's a more like passive way to relax muscle tissue whereas like compared to like self-myofascial release foam rolling would be a little more active um I don't, i'm not 100 sure there but the the other thing about that water is the density of water and this actually segues really into like into pool work is there's there's this hydrostatic pressure and so that pressure on your skin is similar to the compression from gear from normal tech boots it's there's pressure from the outside and that's going to help again with like venous return and ultimately with circulation throughout the whole body. Uh, and then there's, then there's like, you know, just the relaxing effect, which is nice. If you can reduce stress mentally, that does manifest in your body. Right. And I think that is the biggest takeaway from that is just a stress, a stress reduction and going in there and really taking some mindfulness. If you have a tough time carving out time in your day to, for, for a mindfulness practice, like if you've tried meditation or you just don't think it works for you or like you have a high stress job or a high stress family life, like then I think that's where a float tank is huge because it does just overall help you relax and, and feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's, it's pretty expensive. It'd be hard to, it'd be hard to justify that as some sort of active recovery routine. Um, that's like a go treat yourself once in a while sort of thing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Or like, yeah, if you're overly stressed, like I wouldn't go because I had a hard training block. Uh, I would go because I have some free time and, and, you know, Dude, group on or something. It was, like, it's one of those things where I, I recommend it to a lot of people that I, I realize like, I don't know, or at least I used to, uh, but I think about my parents, I wanted to take them to go, but I'm like, wait, can they, can they handle being like 90 minutes in a sensory deprivation tank? Well, that drives them nuts, you know? So it's like, know thyself <laughs> or go, right. go, go try it out. Maybe, maybe it's for you. Maybe you won't like it. Maybe you won't like it the first time. It was like, it was weird for me the first time, but this, the next uh, couple of times were, were pretty rad. And it's, yeah, it's like one of those things. If you're not familiar with, meditation at all or any type of mindfulness you, the idea of being by yourself for 90 minutes is, is pretty wacky but with all of your senses being deprived it also kind of suspends time like you don't really know how long you're in there you know what with a 90 minute you could have told me i was in there for 45 minutes you could tell me i was in there for like three hours and i had no idea That's you know true. like everything everything is just gone um which is kind of cool so if you have if you have the means if you have something around i would definitely try it out um and along along with similar lines, we we had an episode with um, Jay O'Hare from Venga CBD. But I know you're you're a big advocate and you're your user. You believe in the product, um, and this is also something that really does has been taking the endurance field by storm. And just kind of now that it's legalized, like CBD is a big like talking point now. So I would love to get your thoughts on that and kind of how that can help you recover. Because I mean. This is kind of blending the lines of active recovery. It's not 
I mean, it's not really that active. You're not right. really you're doing anything. Nutrition area. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, right in there. And there's a lot that is to still develop from it and, and exactly what what is coming of it because it is so new um, from for the masses. Uh, but yeah, dude, tell me about like your CBD practice. Dude, I mean, well, first and foremost, like CBD is something that you ingest for the most part. Like you can smoke it and whatnot, but there's just make sure you're ingesting healthy things across the board and then consider this to be something to include into your practice. But the the raddest thing about this, a little backstory, the same ultra marathon that I used the Normatec boots for the first time, this is where I got introduced to this company called King Buddha and I had never taken CBD in the past. And they, they offered me 50 milligrams after or 25 milligrams after. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Well, I'll try 50, which is like a decent dose. Um, and it's like yeah. a double, it'd be like a double or tripled. Uh, <laughs> that'd be like a, that's a big dose. <laughs> I mean, it's a solid dose. It depends on who you're talking to. Like I'm pretty sure Hunter McIntyre takes like 200 milligrams a day, you know, uh, wacky. and then, and then I talk to other people who take 10, 15 milligrams a day and they get strong effects from it. So, you know, different tolerances, people, it's affecting people's bodies differently. It seems, uh, my sweet spot's like 50 to hundred personally. Um, but I tried this and dude, I went back an hour later and I was like, I am really astonished. It was extremely noticeable. I didn't feel high i felt just so relaxed my my body my my mind was was calmer i never really experienced anything like it and i thought it might have been a fluke um here we are uh, many months later i've been working with this company king buddha for yeah for for a while and it's just it's been so consistent the results and those results are it is it's very calming which like some of these other practices helps get you into a parasympathetic state which is good for things like digestion it's going to help you get to bed earlier there's an influence with uh, cannabinoid oil that it, it, it helps you obtain more sleep wave sleep. And that, like we've said in the past, that's where a lot of that uh, body restoration is happening. So that's great as much of that as you possibly can, right? And then again, the manifestation of stress in the body, just like throughout your conscious, your conscious hours. So in that regard, CBD is, is lowering mental stress, which has physical uh, impact. It's also improving your ability to get more quality sleep, which is good for your physical recovery and your mental state. And it is also reducing inflammation. I don't, I don't really know the pathways, but there, there is, that's like where the primary study began was its effects on inflammation and how, yeah, yeah. How it mitigates it. Hmm. So is this kind of like a blend of everything or is it like, what would you kind of compare this to? Is it more like a float tank where it does help your general stress level and, and, and relaxation or are, are there mechanisms in there? I know the um, endocannabinoid system is, is pretty vast and it can, and there's a lot of things that these exogenous um, cannabinoids can help with. Uh, but like, when should you do it? Who, 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 who should do it? That's a great question. I, so like I was saying, I'm doing cold, hot showers in the morning away from my training Anything that's blunting inflammation right after training, that's, that can potentially uh, uh, take away some of those adaptations. I take CBD towards nighttime. So I do want it to help with my sleep. So even if I have an afternoon workout, I'm probably not going to have CBD for, for like three, four, five hours until after after that workout. And Just uh, to be safe? Just to be safe. I mean – uh, I'm already like pretty relaxed. Maybe I'll take like 10 milligrams in the morning and I don't know what the effect – is on uh, in terms of inflammation but there is a note just 10 15 milligrams for me is like noticeable for how my brain works and how it feels so and it's calming by the way it's calming which is 
nice, especially with a cup of coffee where you like get a little stimulated with the coffee, but you're like pretty mellow, pretty composed. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it at nighttime. Cause I want to get some solid sleep. I don't want to be in bed with those circular thoughts and just thinking like crazy. And that's my understanding of how it does impa- improve your sleep is just by the, the taking away that, that stress and taking away those circular thoughts. It's not necessarily, there's not really a mechanism in there that is going to make you sleep better, how some sort of sleep aid might. Um, is that right? Yeah, to a degree. Uh, yeah, what we touched on last time was like, if you, and this is going to be different for everybody, um, but perhaps... 50 milligrams is like super relaxing and not sedative at all. And then you experiment with taking 150 milligrams and you notice that at that level, it does start to have more sedative properties where you're like, I just really want to sleep now. Mm. So, so it's cool. You can kind of manipulate your dosage based on what you're trying to achieve. Maybe you want to just knock you out. Maybe you just want to relax. Interesting. And that could also be based off of, you know, your workout that day. Like if you took a hundred milligrams because you had a hard workout, like it could be in compound with both, right? Like you're, you're relaxed and you're extra tired from your workouts. So maybe it feels m- more sedative. Cause I, I, I didn't realize you could, but I've never, I've never, I've not, I don't think I've ever taken more than like 20 um, at a time just cause it ends up, it ends up being a lot. <laughs> it ends up being a lot of uh, like a lot of your dose. Is, uh, so I'm gonna have to send you some King Buddha just came out with this new, uh, this new line where they have it's CBD mixed with CBG uh, because they're finding that hmm. CBG is just a, it, it does a little bit of a better job interacting with the cannabinoid system and is just kind of works like as a good partnership with CBD. And it's like when you have the whole flower full spectrum, you have like a little bit of THC, you have CBD, you have CBG, but the for people that don't really understand like CBD or hemp and how that really works, it's, it's the plant is very, very low in THC just based on like the breeding, the breeding method, uh, uh, uh like a cannabis plant high in THC. Uh, I forget. I like the, the, uh, female plant it's just a different flower compound so it's just a way in like the the process of how they like pair the two plants and they end up coming up it's just like it's kind of similar to uh uh genetic modification not like through the addition of chemicals but uh you it's cool you can read like michael pollan's the body of desires like humans just decide oh we like this plant and so they breed that one and then they mix it with this one and they just kind of alter it based on the outcomes that they have enjoyed so we've discovered Hmm. like the cbd the effects of the cbd rich flower and they've begun to uh yeah grow more of that and kind of manipulate the growing patterns not again not through like the use of chemicals but just like the growing techniques uh and like the different plants that they marry these things with and uh and now they're doing the same thing for cbg they're creating flowers that are higher in cbg which seems to be increasing the actual like actual effectiveness so if you hmm. take, say, you know, X amount of, C- of just CBD, that might not be as effective as taking the same amount of CBG. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I, my understanding of the like full spectrum versus broad spectrum versus the isolate and everything, it is how they interact with each other. Um, and it is so new. And now that now that people are able to to manipulate and adapt the actual compounds that are going to come out be extracted. There's going to be some really cool shit coming. Totally. totally. It's going to be really cool. So, yeah. yeah. CBD, I'm going to say like CBD is just in a world of its own. And I think that it's, if you can, if you can obtain it, I think it's something to throw on top of like all of these other practices. Totally. And uh, yeah, like King, I would definitely check out King Buddha. I would check out Venga as well. Um, there are good quality products. There's a lot of shit around and there's a lot of, and it's hard to really understand what 
is, is a good product and what's not and what's trusted. Like if you go to 7-Eleven and there's something and you're just like, oh, cool, there's CBD in this don't chocolate. Trust that. <laughs> don't trust that. Don't try it. Like, but like, and, and if you do try it, don't generalize CBD and don't, and if you take, take it once, like that's like, it's not enough. Like you need to have like almost like a, a cycle, like take it for a training cycle, like have like a meso cycle, a three or four training, training block and take it every day and see how it goes. When was the last time you took CBD? Um, maybe like the last training block. I probably took it about a month ago. Right on. How much were you taking? Um, that was 20. I was taking 20 through a tincture. Nice. Yeah. No, noticeable? Not a ton. I gotta. Send I can't you some say a ton. I gotta send you some of the. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I should definitely try some because I want to. I want to get my hands on some more just for that reason uh, to see how it goes and see how it like reduces stress and. Um, my training was really high then, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But I, I just, I like my sleep didn't really seem to noticeably improve when I came off of it. Didn't really seem to, um, really change anything. So maybe my dosage wasn't right, or who knows. Yeah, dude, just anecdotal and like from uh, from some of the clients that I have that they they like also use CBD. And we have like the whoop strap and we we can directly see at least what the whoop is telling us. And there's like a uh, 140% increase, 130 wow. to 150. Yeah, straight up. Like if you're getting two hours of deep sleep or, or an hour and a half of deep sleep, you're getting another half hour, an extra half hour, an extra 45 Damn. minutes. Yeah, so That'd be sick. pretty dramatic. <laughs> That'd be sick. I would love that. Um, yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to get my hands on, on some more of that so I can try some more of that. Um, but cool. So we were going to talk about some nutrition habits, but we're not now we're going to not do that. And so that, so the first, so what I said in the beginning, I would, I lied and we'll talk about that later. We'll do a whole episode on nutrition habits. You get one live per podcast. uh, Yeah, that, that was it. So yeah, next time we'll talk about some deep dive on nutrition habits because it's a big topic and I really am passionate about it and I want to dedicate some time to it. What do you got going on this week? What are you doing? Just that, man. I think that right now it's it's raining like crazy out. We were talking about clouds and how they can sometimes look like butt cracks. Earlier, butt clouds. Which, ass clouds. You know what I'm talking about. Big uh, ass clouds. So I'm gonna go underneath those ass clouds and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go run up this mountain. I think it's probably gonna be muddy, but I'm gonna wear some aggressive shoes. There's not gonna be any people out there because most people around here don't want to go out in this crappy weather. But there's uh, I'm gonna go do a time trial on this one mountain by me. It's uh it's 2.3 miles long or like to the top and it's a fire tower with a sweet view and it's 1400 feet of gain and i want the crown last time i missed the crown by like 40 or 50 seconds i had to look at it but like i want i'm gonna get that crown i'm gonna knock off 50 seconds this is that same dude uh negative no this is some this is some other killer ultra runner he act this guy actually looks like an ultra runner he's like young tall super slender you look at his strava and he like doesn't have a run under 20 miles oh really <laughs> yeah. um you're gonna do that today yeah because i mean it's supposed to be windy out too Maybe, maybe by you, son. Maybe, maybe it'll be in my back. Maybe it'll like draft me up the mountain. We'll yeah, see. that's how that's how it typically works. It'll blow right up the mountain. No, we know, right we know it's a headwind both ways every time. Yep. <laughs> um, well, cool. So you're going after a crown? Is that are you doing a time trial? Is this specifically to get the crown, or are you going to gear up some training uh, and use this as kind of a benchmark? Using this as kind of a benchmark. Uh, I'm doing an intense week right now. Nice. So, uh, and yeah, I'm trying to get in more, uh, more elevation, just kind of looking at it across the board. And if I'm going to take doing like the, the, like the world championship, uh, ultra championship, it's gonna, I'm gonna have to be able to handle a lot of elevation. So, uh, and I'm gonna do the mountain series anyways. So ultimately it's going to come down to elevation a little bit more than like total mileage. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I really love this mountain. I, I love training on this mountain and I just want to base on where I'm at last from last year. Cause last year going into the last race of the year, 
is when I hit that. So that was going, that was like literally the week before going into the New Jersey super where I got second to Kempton and I'm going to see where I'm at now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a good, it's a, it's a good plan. What do you think they're going to do about the qualifications for um, Vermont? Did we talk about that? Like how you going to, how can you like there? Yeah. Cause I was going to use, I was going to use the Ohio ultra and as were other people that I know. And it's back on the, it's back on the schedule, but it's in July. So it's like, there's, there's like three ultras before Vermont. It's um, Utah, which is July, like mid July. Then there's Ohio, which is now late July, and then it's Hawaii. So there's only three races available to qualify to to Vermont. Um, so I don't know how they're gonna do that. Yeah, because you can't just let anybody in. I wonder. I mean, some people like Luke Bosick said that they were now using like older qualifications because he did the ultra at Killington just this past 2019. And like, okay, that was like, that'll be exactly one year ago. So good enough. You're good. You don't have to qualify this year. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't do an ultra last year. So yeah, I still got to do one. They should. And cause the only reason it can't let anybody in is if no one's ever done an ultra and someone goes out there and like dies, you know, if, um, if someone's going to die, it's going to be a Killington. Yeah. And like, so they should, like, that should be a qualification. Like, done, having done a previous ultra, like, it doesn't need to be last year. I think they should even expand outside of the Spartan world. And if you've done an ultra in any capacity, like, kind of how OCRW does it, like, okay, like, send us your results from World's Toughest Mother, send, it, send us your results from some other stuff. I don't know if Spartan will do that because they're kind of like tight that way. And they just like think their own shit is the, the shit that you, is the best. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be a, a case or if there's, if you have like an elite qualification in some capacity, like then you get pushed in, but we'll see, man. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a really crowded, a really crowded season when things open up. I really want to, cause something's got canceled, but a lot of things got pushed. And it's like, man, there's only so much time. People are going to have to make choices. Um, gosh, I, I'm a little excited cause it's, I like surprises, honestly. Like I used to never look at course maps. I'm like, I, we'll see how it comes. So whatever <laughs> it's going to be, it'll be. And, uh, We'll we'll have fun with it, but and that's yeah, and like that's that's I know a lot of athletes who I'm coaching are kind of having this thought. It's like, well, my my I was going to do the stadium, I was going to do the mountain series, or I was going to do the national series, but now it's all a mess. Like, what if I pivot and just go ultra and like have a goal still? Because I don't know if there's going to be any type of of goal race throughout the entire year. And it's like cool, and like I'm hearing this from a couple of different places, so it's going to be crowded people are going to try to do this because it's home it's home it's it's here and um it's something that's cool but it's gonna be fucking crazy yeah. i saw they're doing another 12 hour um orm you gonna do it nope <laughs> <laughs> nah dude the, again it's like i the the place that i want to do it i don't have surface there's like no fun place to go run where i'm gonna one get a bunch of mileage two have a shitload of fun and like three have good good service so i can get on the zoom and actually do it but uh, I'm gonna say this on I'm gonna say this publicly, so I have to hold myself accountable. But I'm gonna go and try and set the like the uh, FKT for the uh, Appalachian Trail through Connecticut on that How day. Long is that? It's 50 miles, so it'll probably like, take it'll probably take me. I don't know the, the elevation. I think it's like 20. I want to say it's 20,000. It'll probably wow. take me. It'll probably take me. Uh, you know, 12, 13 hours. We'll see. Let's go. Yeah, son. Um. Cool. Well, uh, is that uh, is that going to be un what are they, unassisted? What do they call it? Yeah, unsupported. Un- unsupported. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. carry I'll carry like a Sawyer water filter and enough snacks. Fat adapted, son. I don't need to carry any snacks. Don't okay, even I'll, need food. Cow. I'll, I'll carry. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll carry a little bit of some goodies, some Cliff bars and stuff. 
and uh and yeah that sawyer water filter Dude, it's funny i'll just like i'll tune into zoom at the end of that and like hand them my one line be like there's 50 miles and they'll count it as a five mile lap that's the, <laughs> that's the rule it's like you can you can do however many miles you want but it's like they're only going to count five miles count five. Five. yeah <laughs> um so that's actually a good um I was having a conversation with an athlete coach the other day, and that's gonna that would actually be a good jump off for somebody who does who might consider doing um, th- their first ultra, or maybe they'll even use the ORM one as a a, qual- a qualifier somehow. Like th- like that would actually that would be pretty uh, pretty I, cool. I really doubt it. I yeah. crazy doubt it, but that'd be it'd, be it'd be cool if they did something like that. And that'd be great if ORM could contribute that way to 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 helping everybody else. But yeah, if you feel like doing ultra, go ahead and do it. There's one woman I coached did a race two or no, this is past weekend that was run a mile every hour. Nice. For as long as you can. It oh, started man. Yeah. It started on Friday evening. And she went for 40 hours. So she ran 40 miles, 40 hours. Props. Good for her. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing. Ecstatic. You know, she was top ten, like never done an ultra before. Um, awesome for her. And, but they're still running. It's Thursday. What? There's two women <sighs> who are like at a hundred and 30 hours or something like that sick like oh my they god had, like, they must they be get? the queens of naps just crushing naps because yeah you have to take a nap right at this point you're taking a nap every time run for 10 minutes or like walk for 15 minutes and then just just nap for like 30 minutes get a little nutrition dude that's yeah, awesome. like, is that gonna mess them up are they gonna be like messed up from no sleep <laughs> I give props oh, no. to that, man. I give props to that. The, the thought of like sleep deprivation is literally the like the biggest reason I have not done like overnight or like multi day multi day FKTs. Yeah, I'm like ah, the fucking sleep deprivation, man. Man, I'm all for hallucinating and stuff, but that's not while I'm like trying to go over technical terrain. No, uh, that's that's face. that's a whole nother level. Um, dude, I haven't run this week. I take I'm taking the week off. How dare you? I'm doing it. Yeah, so I had a I had a big I had a big buildup around a five k. I, I ran my five k PR over the weekend, which I was really pumped about. I saw. Was that was that fifteen twelve or what was it? Uh, fifteen oh five. Oh, damn! So I was real. I was real excited. I, I wasn't even gonna do it because uh, I was. I really was losing motivation this last week. I was supposed to have my last like test run this weekend, but I just moved it up because I was like, I'm just, I'm fried. I'm not feeling great. I'm not that motivated. Like, and then Saturday I woke up. I was like. Let's just do it. Let's just. I felt good. I was ready to rock. Yeah, I just did the mountain back on this paved road that was blocked off. And have, you ever just, gone, have you ever gone sub fifteen? No. Yeah, because my, my my PR was fifteen oh eight from two thousand and six, and that was on a track. That was like in a race. Um, oh, yeah. So I mean, I, that would have been really cool. And I, I mean, it, with competition, I think I would have had it. Dude, um, you see, if you had just like dove, you know, if you just like dove forward and threw your arms back, you probably would have hit 14, 59. Probably a big lean. Yeah. But you didn't. I didn't do it. But I was pretty pumped, dude. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, so it was I satisfying. It would have been cool to be under for sure. Um, and I don't know what I like. So now I need to re- retool and figure out what to do next. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to train for like the DecaFit stuff and like for High Rock stuff. But Yeah, as you should. Well, that's or stadium. That's nice. You got a little down week to – uh to figure some stuff out. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't just chilling. <laughs> I just like have time. I'm just, Dude, I gotta say like the greatest thing, the silver lining to like this whole quarantine thing is like, it's been awesome doing experimentation to a degree, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I happen to worry about like, Oh, well this is, I know that this schedule works good enough. So I'm just going to stick to this for the race to get what I think will be the best result. It's like, yeah, like mess around a little bit as long, yeah. as long as you are being like productive. Yeah. It almost, I would say, Obviously, it matters, but like you have wiggle room. 
Yeah, not as much. It doesn't matter as much. Yeah, you can do a bunch of stuff. You can test like nutrition stuff. You can do some different you know, different training stuff. Yeah, you can test out ultras. You can test out like I have people going doing like miles, eight hundreds. Just like do some fun shit. Um, cool, bro. All do right, some fun well, shit. Do some fun shit. That's where we'll leave it. Next time we're talking about nutrition habits. Got an interview with Jack Carpenter from OCR Audio coming up Tuesday, um, which should be a good one. Josh, where can we find you on social? Find me at Ja Shua Reed. That's J A underscore S H A under wait S H U A. I know how to spell my name. J A underscore S H U A underscore R I E D. This is what happened when I try to talk in a certain voice. I just don't know what the hell I'm saying. You know, you got we got to work on our podcast voices. Um, catch me reinforce underscore running underscore rich uh, at pretty much all the things reinforcerunning.com and all that good stuff, my friend. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>